Welcome to Loving the Christ Life. I'm Brad Wilson. We're happy to have you with us today as always. And boy, do we have a great message coming your way today from Warren Litzman. It's about the seed and how human beings are completed in Christ. This is a very important message and a very interesting one. And we're going to get right into it now. Here's Warren. Today I'm going to talk to you about the seed. Many months ago, I had a lesson on the seed, which dealt with it a little differently than the Spirit has dealt with me these last few days. If you were to ask me what would be my greatest grief in this work, or I've been in this work since I left pastoring the church 12 years now. I have preached this message the best I know how, from every direction I know how. And if you were to ask me what would be my greatest grief or sorrow in the preaching of this message, it would be that people would take these remarkable truths and not live them. Because it's one thing to have great knowledge, and it's another thing to make it effective in your life. It's that way with any truth. Any intelligent idea can be head knowledge, but not necessarily working knowledge in one's life. But the difference with this message, which Paul called my gospel, the difference is that his message fit the creation of the human being. What most human beings who have ever lived on this earth have never come to is the fullness of their godly creation. Because, you see, I believe that every human being in a mother's womb is created in the image and likeness of God. Every one of them. Every last one of them. If they're created in the image and likeness of God, then it is necessary along the way, that they receive the information to make that work. I believe most human beings are going to live and die and never make the purpose of their creation work. Paul finally came along and explained it in many different ways, but most forcefully in Colossians 2 and 10, when he said, we are completed in Christ. We are created by God in an incomplete state. In your mother's womb, you were incomplete. He made you to be a divine person. But until Christ becomes your knowledge in your life, that's never fulfilled. So it's not a question of getting saved. I don't have a gospel to keep men out of hell and get them to heaven. That's not what Paul's message was, though that's what's going to happen to people. Everybody born again is going to go to heaven, and everybody not born again is going to go to hell. But that's not the gospel. The gospel is the completion of the human being, the fulfillment of God's creation of that human being. When I get to heaven, I believe that I'm going to be faced with the issue that like a computer screen or like a printed piece of paper, it's going to be hanging on a post somewhere, to put it crudely, 
that's going to say, Litchman, this is what you were created by God to be. This is what was in your creation. This was in your potential. This was in your life. And I'm going to read all of the things that I should have been and could have been created by God to be. And I'm going to be faced with the issue of whether or not I allowed Christ to work those things out of me. Because you see, there is nothing on the face of the earth that can bring you to the fullness of what God created you to be but Christ. So as I've told you so many times, the true gospel belongs to the world, not just to religious people, not just to church people, because this is a message that ought to be disconnected from religion altogether. People say to me now, have you ever seen the world in your worst shape? I haven't seen it. In my day, this is the worst it's ever been, what it is right now. But I'm not very old, and I <clears throat> I haven't seen a whole lot of things. But I have to tell you, the worst day the world ever had was the day God come looking for Adam and Eve in the garden because the whole world fell into sin that day. It's pretty bad what we have in Dallas and Houston, you know, and crime and bad bad environment and so forth. But the, the world has been worse than it is now. In fact, Jesus says it'll never get any worse than Sodom and Gomorrah was or as it was in the days of Noah. Well, the world is real bad. And I take a look at the world and I think, well, what will straighten it out? What will correct the world? I'd like to think our politicians could do it, but I think we're all giving up on that right now as far as them doing anything good. We'd like to think religion could do it, but I know we're giving up on that. Then what is the answer? The answer has to be the return to a gospel where people become what God created them to be. Well, unless we preach this gospel, unless we unfold these truths, people are never going to be what they were created to be. You probably have not done bad things in your life, that is, things contrary to your creator. You probably married right. You probably are in the right business. You you probably do things the way you ought to some of the time. But to put it all together takes the work of the Holy Spirit in teaching you about the Christ within you. Well, you would think, well, why don't we listen to the Holy Spirit? I personally believe that if the Holy Spirit has anything to say to a believer, he'll talk to him about Christ. Why? Because that's the fulfillment to the believer's personhood. Now, we've, we've got all my life, I've been a Holy Ghost type preacher. And I've had the Holy Ghost doing everything in the world, but the one thing Jesus said he would do. I've had the Holy Ghost telling me how to live, telling me how to act, telling me how to operate my ministry and his ministry. But I never had him doing the one thing Jesus told us he was going to do, and that is teach us about Christ. See? And until we let the Holy Spirit begin to teach us about Christ, we're never going to rise above the mediocrity of our living. I am coming into that. I haven't arrived by any means. But I am coming into this glorious note of what God created me to be. You see, I believe what I'm doing now is the nearest thing to my creation I've ever done. And I've done everything from run radio stations, television stations, to pastoring large churches, 
uh, to run in an old folks home and I've done everything a preacher could ever think about doing, but I never did any of those things according to my creation. They were all hard work. They were all, they just didn't fit. And that's what you see. I watch fellows on television and I can tell you now, most of them don't fit what they're doing. Some of them don't. That's why they get in trouble. But I'm doing now what fits me. Somebody said, well, how can you travel around like you do and go to all these groups? Uh, it's easy. That fits me. It's just like I was created by God to do that. And I'm coming into that. I haven't fully arrived yet, but I, that's what I'm coming into. And I have joy and I have peace and I have happiness from it because I'm bringing to people something that God created me to do. Well, you'd think we'd listen to the Holy Spirit, don't you? That, that we just take the word of the Holy Spirit and just run with it. Oh, this is good. I just know all about him. But his voice, because of our carnal living, gets so soft sometimes we don't pay any attention to it. I believe he's there. I believe the Holy Spirit is there with you, giving you instruction and telling you what to do and how to do it. But we just don't listen to it. Well, is there any other help? Is there anything else that will help us aside from the Holy Spirit? Well, it's very simple now. I'm too much subject. The other thing that makes a difference in a believer's life, and this message is for believers. Uh, you could believe on Jesus Christ with what I say and be saved, but my message is, is I'm not an evangelist. I'm, I'm to help people who want to go on with God. That's my calling. That's, that's, that's where I am. And I'm for those. Lady came to me last night over in New Orleans and she said, uh, she said, uh, I'm kind of given to politics right now because I'm fighting certain crusades. She said, is that all right? I said, it's all right if the Lord calls you. I said, uh, if he calls you to do that, do it. She was thinking about, uh, doing something about the ha something that's happening in her city and she wanted to work on it. I said, that's fine. Christians ought to do what they feel led of the spirit to do. Well, I said, I'm not led that way. My leading is to help people who want to go on with God. Uh, I told you last month, uh, this new book that's out by Hendrick is, uh, he's an even leading evangelical writer. He says 53,000 people a week are dropping out of the Christian church in the United States. Every week, that many leave the church. That's 200,000 a month. So I believe not to be, uh, anything within myself, but I believe that God has raised up this message to help meet the need of these great number of people that are dropping out of these churches because the gospel isn't preached, because they're not being fed, or for whatever reason it is. But is there any help? Is there anything that can make a difference in our lives? That's why I'm back on the subject of the seed. Because the one thing that makes a difference in a believer's life, aside from the teaching of the Holy Spirit, is the seed. The seed that is already in you. Christ in you, Paul said, the hope of glory. Is there anything to that? Is there any power to that? Does it have any life in it? Certainly, if you look at Christ in you as a planted seed, you begin to understand about life. Now, I've always taught that the most definitive statement about God I have ever found in the Bible is in John 12 and 24. You need to open up and look at it a little bit. 
This is the most definitive statement I ever read about God. It's a little statement where Jesus says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. Well, a fellow said to me, how do you get God in that? It doesn't say anything about God. But what it says is that the deepest truth and idea there is in Almighty God is that God must have death before there can be life. That with God, all life comes out of death. Now, before you ever hear God is love, before you ever hear God is all-powerful, God can do anything, God is omnipotent, God is sovereign, before you ever hear anything about God, I say you need to know this one fact, that that God is so put together that everything that has life, has come out of death. All of creation is like this. Everything in creation works out of death. The trees have a death in the winter. They bring forth life in the spring. All bearing of offspring comes out of death. A woman's travail is a form of dying. She hurts unto death. But out of that death comes life. But especially with God in spiritual matters, he always brings life out of death. It's real hard on people that don't know how to rightfully divide the word of God when I make a statement like this. But nobody in the Old Testament aside from Jesus Christ had any life. Now, They had eternal life as a gift from God, but they didn't have life resident in them. You know how Old Testament saints were saved? By doing. If they did what was right, if they were obedient, if they were faithful, then they had eternal life. But they didn't have the life that we have because the Son is the only place there's life. He that hath life hath the Son. He that hath not the Son hath not life. And so they didn't have the Son. They looked forward to him, but they didn't have life. When I hear preachers preaching about Abraham and David and Isaiah and all of them, uh, they had good things to say. They said them by the Holy Spirit, but they didn't have life because the life is in the Son. Isaiah had A lot of great joy and happiness because he was a prophetic preacher and he saw Jesus in a vivid way. Abraham saw Christ. He was one who looked for this city of God. He wasn't looking for earthly things. He was looking for a city of God. So he had these inclinations, which we don't take time to go into. But when you rightfully divide the word, nobody in the Old Testament had life, not resident within them while they lived. They had only the grace of God by their faithfulness to God. That's a big difference for you and I. We don't have God's grace by our faithfulness. We have it now by his faithfulness. And that's the difference, you see. Well, this verse of Scripture tells us that the deepest thing in God is that he brings life out of death. There could be no life for human beings. There could be no 
complementary work done by God to fulfill the creation of the human being until Christ came and became life. The life, the life of God is in the Son. And until Christ came, we could not have life to fulfill our creation. Abraham died looking for that city. David died forgiven of his sins, but he never became the fullness of what God created him to be. In his end, he was not like the little David who slew the giant, because he never fulfilled his purpose. But when Christ comes, then we had life within us. Well, this fact of life coming out of death is emphasized by Jesus in this 24th verse by a seed. A seed. You understand the issue of a seed, do you not? Every seed has connected with it what we call a lobe or a shell or an outer form. Kind of like this. Uh, Inside the lobe is a germ. The germ is the life. Now, until that seed is planted, this germ is never released because it is covered by the lobe or by the shell that's around it. Every born-again believer has this germ in them. Because there is no other salvation except from Christ. Remember, God never gives salvation as a thing. He gives a person. Salvation is a person. John, Romans 5 and 10 says that we are saved by his life. And so it is. The only way we have salvation is by a person within us. But the scripture tells us that person comes as a seed. A seed. Look at another verse of scripture here. First Peter 1 and 23. I'll not overbear you with a lot of scriptures, but you need to mark First Peter 1 and 23. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Being born again by the incorruptible seed. When one is born again, God puts the seed in him. Now, the seed is has life in it, and the life is in the sun. So the life is the Christ life. The lobe, which is the covering of the seed to the believer, is his flesh. When we're born again, it's like John says, First John in his second chapter, he says we begin to go through the process of knowing and understanding. Every person born again has the God seed in them, or else there could be no new birth. But that doesn't mean they do anything with it. doesn't mean they understand it. doesn't mean they live the potential of that seed. So John, 1 John 2 tells us about three levels of understanding. There's a child level, a son level, a father level. And we go through those often in our message. But sooner or later, knowledge must come to this person in order for that germ to come out of them. 
I'm not talking about bearing fruits by our work. You must separate the two. There are plenty of believers who are working themselves to death and calling that the fruit of the Lord. And you know, I found out about that a few years ago, that after I'd worked myself to death for the Lord, I heard the Holy Spirit take a look at it one day and said, now what difference does it make? You see, the growth was not to be in what it was I did for the Lord. The growth was to be in who he was in me. So at some juncture, you have to separate your works from who you are. You understand that? Well, what happens to this little seed when it's planted and put underground is that it enters a great state of loneliness. That's what John 12 and 24 says. Except the corn of wheat fall into the ground, it abides alone. Well, I've got to tell you that there's no more lonely place for the seed than when it falls in the ground. I've always been told that a farmer is noted as to whether he's a genuine farmer or not by whether he can place that seed in the ground and trust that seed to come up. If he frets and worries, if he gets upset every time something happens to the field, if there's too much rain, if there's too much cold, if there are animals, if there's something that comes and invades the territory of that seed and he gets upset, he's not a true farmer. He has to trust when the seed is planted that it'll bring forth, bring forth life, bring forth results. And so what happens to this seed, let's talk about loneliness for a moment, though. Until you've entered a state of loneliness, you're never going to come to know the importance of what's in you. You'll never know what God did at the cross, I say, until you go through a crisis of loneliness. Because sooner or later, you must have an experience with God where everything outside of you is cut off. Everything. God lets us have these experiences. Some have to go to a hospital. Some uh, have to lose loved ones. Some have to have children problems. Uh, some have to have their life come to an abrupt stop. But everything they planned and everything they hoped for is just stopped. And that's a very lonely feeling. Because most of us have no identity without doing the things that we think make us who we are. You understand that? That's what your identity is. Some of you women couldn't go shopping, you wouldn't feel like a person anymore. If men couldn't go hunting, they wouldn't feel like men anymore. Your identity is in your doing. But all of a sudden, when it gets shut off, you're in a very lonely position. It's very lonely. God lets us come to that place as believers. Why? Because that's the only time you're ever ready to turn your attention to him who is in you. When the heavens become brass, that's not bad. Because for the first time, you're going to be faced with the fact Christ lives in me. He may be out there somewhere, but he lives in me. And you're going to have to come to that. And loneliness is what he's speaking of here. That's what's in the seed. It abides alone. It abides alone. Your seed's going to have to abide alone. Somebody said, how do I get a revelation of Jesus Christ? 
Let that lonely moment that comes be the means by which you turn your attention to Christ within. And the Holy Spirit will help you then by revelation to come to know that Christ lives in you, that he is your life and he is the seed. So what happens to this seed when it's planted? The rain comes down. The snow falls. The hot sun beats down on it. The cold weather comes. Everything that can bombard that seed begins to take place. What is all this bombardment about? Why is it you can't just take a seed and put it in the ground, walk out the next morning and have a stock of corn? It's because the bombardment must take place in order for there to ever be a break in this load, in the flesh. You see, everything that God has created has the germ of life in it. But that germ of life can only come out by death. Death to what? Death to the outer shell. Death to the load. Death to the flesh. And so in a believer, we have things that happen to us. Uh, we call it the CNS game. That's circumstances and situations. Some good, some bad. But circumstances and situations are what it is that makes a break in this lobe, and it is only when that break is made that this germ of life comes out. The only way Christ will ever come out of you is when the seed is released, when you release it. You say, well, I want to do that. Well, that's good. You ought to always want to do it, but the time element is not in your hands. That's in the Lord's hand. You're already saved. You're going to go to heaven. You come behind in no spiritual gift. But you're not going to release that seed in your time. I always uh, count what was said to Mary. The scripture said that in the fullness of the time, she brought forth a son. Well, that's probably literally referring to the nine-month period from uh, conceiving to delivering the son in Bethlehem. But it's a good verse for us because it says in the fullness of the time God brings forth the son. When does a Christian really fly and become what God's intention for him is? In the fullness of the time. Then in Galatians 1 and 16 and 17 the first man in the Bible that ever had a revelation that Christ lived in him Put it like this. His verse says, when, W-H-E-N, time element, when it pleased God, who separated me from his mother's womb, called me by his grace, to do what? To reveal his son in me. So the time element was in the hand of the Father. It is in your life. Well, you say, what I do in the meantime? Keep listening. Keep your Bible open. Keep waiting before God. Because I never put pressure on you to have a revelation of Christ. I believe you ought to have a revelation of Christ. I believe every believer needs a revelation of Jesus Christ. But I can't put that pressure on you because I know your Father determines. He determines when that Son comes forth in you. And you begin to see certain signs of it even long before. But there is a moment where you know, as Paul said, 
that Christ has been revealed in me. That's different. That's earth-shaking. That's bigger than anything else ever mentioned in the Scripture. Well, the CNS gang working in your life is what it is that makes this break in your flesh. Now, most believers would like asceticism far better than what I'm talking about now. You know, asceticism means that I want to do something. I'm going to wait before God for 30 days. I'm going to fast for three days. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to get a hold of God. Your problem there is that you, by your own effort, are attempting to become something that's really in the hand of God. What you need to do is to love. Love Him. Love God. Love His Word. And God in the fullness of the time will bring forth His Son. That's His promise. In the meantime, you're going to have circumstances and situations that are pushing you from one level of understanding to another. You're going to be pushed out of child level. Nobody ever gets born again and gets in a church that doesn't run into trouble sooner or later. So that's where the Lord pushed them on to another level. And then they start fighting the devil. Sun levels where you fight the devil. Everybody's fighting devils these days. That's okay. You have to go through that. But the father level is where you come back to the understanding that from the beginning, the father knows from the beginning, from the beginning, this is what God planned for me to be. And I'm going to become it. The circumstances and situations of life are the show that we get from one level of understanding to another. It's the push that we get. We're all getting it. We've all got circumstances and situations. You wake up every day sometimes to a new circumstance and situation. That's where walking in the Spirit and loving God makes a great difference because that's what life is. Somebody said to me, well, don't you think we're going to get enough faith to get life all fixed up so we don't have trouble anymore? Never heard of it. Because it is what we call trouble that may be the grace of God working in us, shoving and pushing us. He's not going to let you go. Like the old writer said, it's the hound of heaven. He's going to stay after you until you become everything that is possible for you to be in the name of the Lord. So he's not going to stop working on you. A lady said to me one time, she said, when I was in the faith ministry, she said, to, I remember her saying, I, I've always believed you get enough faith, you never have any more trouble. And she said, I can't make it work. Well, I said, you're just not believing hard enough. Keep on believing, you'll make it work. <laughs> you see, it, it isn't like that. Our victory is not the absence of circumstances and situations. Our victory is, as Paul said, being triumphant over every one of them. That's where the victory is. I can't, I've preached long enough to know I can't give you a life that's not going to have trouble in it anymore. But I can preach to you about another life that has already overcome death, hell, and the grave, and he said, you can do the same thing. So the circumstances and situations of life is what it is that tears up this flesh until the germ becomes bigger than the flesh. That's our objective as Christians, to become everything that that seed is. Well, we could talk endlessly about the seed and what all is involved with it. But Peter finally said in 1 Peter 1 and 23, being born again. That's a powerful term. It reads from the Greek and says, because you are born again. Not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible seed. 
because you are born again. I must stress to you once again that you'll never come to the fullness of God if you don't understand the new birth. Jesus said to Nicodemus, except you be born again, you can't see or enter the things of God. If we take Christ literally, then everything we get from God hinges on us knowing and understanding the birth. The birth. That's the means by which we come to see and know what it is that has to do with God. You see, it is only by the birthing that you will ever enter into the things of God. The understanding of the birth. I've had many a brother in the Lord who has failed, sinned, and fallen short of God's grace. They were all saved. They'll all be in heaven. But they fell short by their lack of understanding the birth. They didn't understand. You've seen Christians who flourish for a little while and then fall away. They don't understand the birthing. The birthing is the key to the new move of God that's going on in the world today because we're taking Christ's word literally that you can't even see the things of God nor enter into them unless you understand the birthing. So Peter comes along finally many years later, only second time the term born again is used in the scripture, and he says being born again, by the incorruptible seed. What he says here is that sooner or later the believer ceases to draw strength or life or understanding from the corruptible seed and he draws it only from the incorruptible seed. Well, see, we don't really understand that because we've not preached this new life in Christ long enough for it to get a hold of people. You see, the problem with human beings is misplaced identity. We think our identity is derived from what it is we've always done, how we were taught, and the way we see ourselves. We think that's our identity. But Peter would tell us that's the corruptible seed. That's what you came into the world with. That's what your mom and daddy did to you when they birthed you. You were birthed by a corruptible seed. Now, you understand that? That's why all our life we have a problem putting it together. Have you ever had that feeling? I don't know how I can explain it, but I've had that feeling lots of times. I've been on a project, and I thought, boy, this is great. This is of God. This is, this is really what we need. And I almost got it done, but never quite like my spirit said it ought to be done. Have you ever had that feeling that you never quite accomplished? What do we do? We go on living anything. We go on existing, drawing our strength from the corruptible seed because it leaves us in a state of lacking. What you receive from your parents is far less than what's in the seed that's in you. No reflection on our parents. They couldn't help it. They did all that God allowed them to do. But along the way, you have an exchange of those seeds. The born-again experience does not hinge on religious experiences. It hinges on the receiving of a new seed. When you were born again, you received a new person within you. Jesus said Satan was our nature. 
When we were born again, we had the radical exchange of natures where Christ became our nature. But if you don't know that, if you don't understand that, then you're going to take the things that are in your mind and create your identity. Not based on the fact that I'm a whole new creature. Second Corinthians 5 and 17 is the most misunderstood verse I know in the Bible. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things become new. What we haven't seen in that is that what passed away was this corruptible seed. That's what passed away. The corruptible seed passed away. That meant that to God, everything you were ceased to be. But your mind is still warped, thinking that what I have been is what I am, and I want God to change what I am to something better, and he's not in the business of changing us to be better people. He's in the business of creating new creation. So you see, we haven't understood Christianity. I will say to you, the greatest weakness in the Christian church is that we are still on this idea that I want to stop doing that. Oh, God, help me to stop doing that. I don't want to do that anymore. That's not the new creation. That's trying to change the old to the better. You understand that? That's what we do all our life. We're in the process of trying to be a little better. Well, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to trust the Lord that I won't cuss anymore. I had this with a lady not long ago. She said, I cuss all the time. I said, uh, uh she said, I'm trusting the Lord. I won't cuss anymore. I'll be a good person. I said, lady, you got it all wrong. The born again has presented the incorruptible seed and you're not a cusher anymore. No use trying to change being a cusher. That doesn't affect God one way or another. It's taking hold of the new seed. The new seed. That's different, you see. And that's what the New Testament is trying to tell us. It's not a change. I know people get provoked with me. I deal with a lot of alcoholics in our group. We've got a number of folks that are in Alcoholics Anonymous, and, and they have a big thing they call Day Break or Day Spring. I can't get the name straight out in California, where I'll be tomorrow. And a big group of them always come to our meeting in San Francisco. And the hardest thing for them to get in their mind is what it means to be born again. Their attitude is, I'm an alcoholic, I'll always be an alcoholic, and I want God to keep me from drinking. Well, what is that? That's a fixing up of the corruptible seed. You see, that's not the gospel. So it's real painful when I look at them and say, hey, uh, once you get a hold of this idea that you have been born again and you have the incorruptible seed in you, you won't even think alcohol. You see, we've got a long way to grow to get there because the church is still trying to cast out the demon of alcohol from us when it ought to be preaching the incorruptible seed. See, I did that for years, so I know what I'm talking about. You've got, you've got to get down to where the gospel is, and that's the radical change in the New Testament. Their, their plight there was not to get us free of all these things. The plight there was to bring us to a point where we knew who we were in Christ. A new identity. My new identity is a whole new seed. The seed is Christ. It is Christ in me. Now my hope of glory and growing up in him is what I've been denied all my life. As a Pentecostal preacher, I was denied this. As a Pentecostal teacher taught in four Bible schools, I was denied that information. 
because they were trying to straighten out the corruptible seed and make me a better person. They want me to dress differently. They want me to talk differently. They want me to be outwardly holy. But all that did was dress up the corruptible seed and left the incorruptible seed, Christ in me still begging to have an outlet in my life. Well, these are the things that are involved in the seed. We're going to stop right here for today. I tell you, I've been under Warren Litzman's teachings for most of my life, and I'll listen to a lot of these things from the archives, and I hear things that I've never heard before. And I'm still amazed at the beautiful messages and the great way he was touched and how the Lord just led him and guide him into this wonderful world of the In Christ message. We hope you've enjoyed it. Now, don't forget to go to our website, if you will. It's Christ-Life.org, Christ-Life.org. Look around, read all about us, visit the bookstore, and look at some of the great books that Warren wrote and left behind as well. We'd like to thank Robbie Litzman for allowing us to go into the archives each week. Valerie Hill does our Twitter account. Tammy Laycock does our weekly podcast notes. And Teresa Ferraro produces this podcast each week for the Christ Life Fellowship. Until next time, I'm Brad Wilson, loving the Christ Life.